This is Darker Days Radio's Dark Iron, Iron Kingdom special. What's going on, Chris? Hi. Uh, yeah, it's really, uh, everything's really cool right now. I have miniatures I've turned up in the post. We have an amazing Kickstarter going on right now, which obviously we're going to talk about in the show. So, yeah, pretty much everything's really good. I've been playing some a certain war game recently um, and painting lots of stuff. I've finished painting stuff. Um, yeah, everything's great. Uh, your, you've got some new stuff as well, miniature-wise. I guess we can talk about all our new toys, considering they're all related to the show. And sure. we have a uh, an excellent returning uh, guest to uh, Darker Days. We have Simon Berman, who is back once again uh, to talk about everything that is Iron Kingdoms related, be it War Machine, Hordes and a certain Kickstarter, and of course, everything that we're hoping to see in future from the Iron Kingdoms RPG. So, Simon, welcome back to the show, and how are things going? I guess busy right now. <laughs> it's these busy ways. doesn't even begin to describe it. <laughs> Thanks yeah. for having uh, me back on the show, though. It's good to see you guys, or talk to you guys again. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's really good to have you back on, because there's like loads of stuff to talk. So I think we had you back, we had you on the show Mike, when did we have him on the show? Was it probably six? October, October 2012? Yeah, right. So it was Sounds about right. a short time, you know, a few months or so after uh, Iron Kingdom's RPG was uh, released, and there's been a lot of stuff out since then. So yeah, how has everyone? What cool stuff have people picked up recently? Um, I was, I've recently had a certain unit of uh, undead turn up as I finally found someone that could ship it to me. So that's important for me uh, for roleplay-wise, because I'm playing through uh, part one of the Witchfire trilogy. So I think I'm up to the point where I I now need the undead. They've gone into a certain tomb and and, um, scared a bunch of goblins. Um, (laughs) um, And I've got some more scenery, and I've got some bits and pieces, and I'm waiting for even more stuff to turn up in the post. I've got... uh, Aster Kane, uh, another heavy war jack, and I've got some magnets now and a pin voice drill to magnetize stuff. So I'm pretty much set for a whole slew of new miniatures to paint, even though I've got some from years ago that need to be repainted. Um, yeah, so that's pretty cool. Uh, Mike, you've said you've got some new minis. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, Chris, you've been playing War Machine for a little while, and uh, I... Never, I never really got into it. But then we had this guy on the show, uh, Simon Berman, and you kind of convinced me to maybe give it a shot. And uh, now I've got Signar Group, Scorn. I just got Legion of Everblight in the mail. So oh yeah, I really want. Yeah, I really need to get the Hordes box set. So um, obviously I finished painting all the Menoth, all the Kador, repainted all my Signar, which are the original ones from ten ten years ago when they first came out. So yeah, I've pl- I played it that original Prime. Um, and I've got my trolls painted, and uh, James, who sometimes is a guest co-host for like some of the other uh, topics that we do on Darker Days, he's got his hordes box. So I've been trying to do by by long distance uh, finding relevant YouTube videos and talking to him online about painting, so he feels more confident about painting. So. Because obviously I've had I've had some <laughs> I've painted lots of stuff so it's really annoying when you want to help someone and be there like and hold the brush and show them 
but you can't because you're like in another country. Yeah. So um, yeah, Everblade miniatures. Oh, yes, awesome I really stuff. want. Yeah, I, I really want. You got anything else mini wise? So for Iron, King, well, Iron Kingdoms wise. Nope, nope, that's it. And uh, I think that's enough about us, really. I yes. mean, this episode is really all about Simon over there and what's going on with Privateer Press. So um, <laughs> yes, there's a lot of things have been going on. Uh, should, we, should we just start off with the really big thing? Yes. Let's talk about the Kickstarter. So, Simon, uh, went live yesterday. Um, are you guys happy with the response? Uh, we, are, we are blown away. Uh, we went live on Wednesday, July 10th, and our goal was $550,000. And for anybody who's uh, not aware... Uh, we're at Privateer, we here at Privateer Press are running a Kickstarter campaign right now for a video game, uh, of War Machine called War Machine Tactics. And, uh, we asked for $550,000 and that's kind of get, to get the, the game just off the ground. And, uh, we hit that number last night after, uh, less than 35 hours, uh, which blew us away. Like we are, we are totally humbled and overwhelmed and, uh, we just, we can't believe the, the response we're getting from our audience and the, the bigger video game community now. And it's, uh, it's just been awesome. Yeah, I mean, you're almost, I'm just looking at the uh, the total right now, you're almost, you know, I'm sure by this time tomorrow, you'll be well past the first stretch goal as well yeah. at this rate. Uh, um, our first stretch goal is $650,000, and we're uh, we're in striking distance of that now at less than $7,000, so I think it's going to be the next couple of hours. Yeah, um, yeah, I mean, it's... Um, so as you say, it's a it's uh, it's based on War Machine, um, and this is a way for um, Private Press to obviously and the, obviously with uh, I get it right it's White Moon it's White Moon Dreams yeah so because Private Press and White Moon Dreams have been teamed up actually for a while with developing a computer game for the based on the Iron Kingdoms IP. But this is a way of, of I guess, getting some of the hard work that's already been done, like the design, some of the design elements, and some of the obviously the uh, the the three D computer sculpts of all the all the things that have been designed, and kind of the Kickstarter allows you to sidestep the traditional computer game publishing uh, you know, route and get something out in a in a in a quicker way, and also that allows the IP to be disseminated better to a new audience is that right uh that's part of it um yeah. i think one of the things that's really exciting about kickstarter for us is uh we, we've had this we've had a previous video game in various stages of development with white moon dreams uh it was more of an action game kind of a dynasty warriors kind of thing yeah 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 that's, and uh, yeah. we were we were very close to getting that published um and uh because of kind of the, the tumultuous nature of the uh, the triple a video game title world mm-hmm. uh, it's uh it can be very difficult for to work as a to work with you if you're on intellectual property in your own setting in your own world like we do with War Machine, um, a lot of the big companies find it's it's simply cheaper for them to to kind of work on their own and not not deal with a smaller company like that and you know simply make their own games. Um, and uh, we had some very frustrating experiences. We were very close to getting the game published, and uh, at the end of the day, we kind of we looked at crowdsourcing when that started to really become a big thing about 18 months ago um, and crowdfunding, and we we. Uh, we examined it really carefully because we, we didn't we knew we would want to just jump into it because you know Kickstarter can potentially be a very dangerous thing. Yes. Uh, if you don't cover all of your bases with it, and for a project this big, we knew we we needed to really take our time and do it right. So we did a lot of research and we we, we worked very closely with White Moon Dreams about what we could and couldn't do. And when we decided to really put this thing together uh, several months ago, you know, we really 
dotted our I's and t- crossed our T's and uh, hopefully have a pretty cool campaign. But the, the great thing about it is it means that we're going to be able to produce this game without uh, outside investors or an, another video game publisher uh, telling us to change things. So we're going to be able to create the War Machine game that we want and hopefully one that feels right and looks right and plays like War Machine um, in the spirit of the Iron Kingdoms for uh, for our audience. Excellent. So War Machine Tactics is, as we said, is a turn-based strategy game, but obviously uh, there are some changes to accommodate the fact it's a computer game and that obviously you can't do a one-to-one translation of a Correct. of a game that's a tabletop game into a computer game. I mean, we know this from the amount of stuff we've heard about, like MM- certain MMOs. You know, you can't take certain role-play rules that work great when you're face-to-face role-playing and you can't just implement them in a computer game because you just have chaos. So, I mean, what what bits can you tell us of maybe how how that's going or, or, or just tell us more about the game in general, like how what kind of play style we should expect, what's going to be reminiscent or what kind of interesting features there'll be and really what we can expect from this game. Uh, sure. Uh, so, you know, as you said, it's, it's not meant to be a sort of one-for-one computer game version of War Machine. Uh, it is turn-based and it is squad-based. So it's got a little more in common with, say, uh, XCOM than it would with a, a huge, you know, army-based game like Total War or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the idea is that you're going to play um, a Warcaster and his or her Warjacks, so the battle group, and then they'll be supplemented by a number of warriors who take the place of kind of solos in War Machine. And those warriors, they might be actual solos in War Machine, like uh, a Manhunter for Kador, for example. I don't, don't quote me to the Manhunters in the game. I, I don't have a full content list in front of me, but uh, that kind of solo. Uh, or it might be, say, a Winter Guard or a Trencher. So you're going to take kind of a small squad and uh, fight over these you know, unique and important battlefields uh, against an opponent uh, or in the single-player campaign. Excellent. And, and that's also important to point out, that there is a, there's going to be a fully developed single-player campaign mode, but there's also going to be a, uh, a multiplayer mode, which, Correct. which uh, currently, as we said, is um, you'll be able to play as uh, Signar or Kador, but one of the stretch, the first stretch goal that is being rapidly, uh, that's rapidly approaching, will unlock the other, the two core main factions of the setting, so it will give us uh, options to play as Crix and as uh, Protectorate of Menoth, which is really cool. Yeah, we're very excited about that. Yeah, um, so the I think with the multiplayer, I mean, is that does that allow for kind of a, a, a fully multiplayer kind of like Mangled Metal, so not just between two uh, human players, but like between, say, up to four, maybe? Um, I don't uh, know, I'm just kind uh, of... Uh, the core game is going to support two-player okay. uh, multiplayer, but keep an eye on your stretch goals because if we start knocking these out, we've got a lot of things to uh, show off. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure people will be. I mean, even to think, I'm sure, you know, in the future, the idea of having a, a four-way <laughs> bust up between warjacks would be amazing because the fact you do that ass, in, the, yeah. in the tabletop is brilliant. And also, there's some excellent. Uh, I mean, excellent uh, add-ons uh, and pledge levels with this Kickstarter. So I think. The one which, I mean, the first level of um, of major, you know, the major pledges like twenty dollars gets you the game, which is great because twenty dollars is not that much. And then beyond that, you know, you've got uh, physical rewards as well. And of course, one of the key ones is the fact that you can have um, a limited uh, edition sculpt of the warcasters that are appearing in the game. So um, 
that's uh, that's really cool because there's like what four, five. I guess ten. No, wait up, wait up. No, not four. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven with a variance. There's eight new kind of figures which will be uh, which will be available to people that pledge uh, to the uh, computer game, and they get new miniatures basically for the for the uh, war game, which is amazing. And that's also, uh, as I think it's important to note that the, your that you guys have done some really good work in adjusting the uh, the shipping costs, so that obviously the the uh, option to get those miniatures is obviously uh, more lucrative to people that are based in the UK and in Europe. Cool. What other kind of um uh, type of add-ons and uh, you know re- and rewards can we expect then? Because um, there's a lot of cool stuff. Uh, well, we have a whole bunch of very cool uh, digital rewards. Uh, you know, you, you get things like um, alternate color schemes, like you can play your Signar in the, the Fort Fault combat dress colors, um, stuff like that. Um, solid gold Warjack modifications for your, uh, your your multiplayer games. But, you know, I, I think one of our coolest rewards is the, the physical rewards, and that's those new novice Warcasters that we were talking about before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and working with White Moon Dreams has been really uh, quite exciting for us because most of those guys are War Machine players. We've been working with them for a really long time. So when we started developing the, uh, the single-player ca- campaign for Tactics, uh, we knew we wanted to introduce a new character to the world of War Machine. So uh, we're seeing Lieutenant Allison Jakes, who is Signar and Journeyman Warcaster. And mm-hmm. uh, the single-player campaign is her story. It's kind of the uh, the crucible in which uh, she goes from being a uh, novice Journeyman Warcaster to a full-fledged Warcaster. Um, there's some twists and turns along the way. So, you know, we're introducing her in the video game, and we, were, we developed her character and her, uh, her art um, in conjunction with White Moon Dreams, and uh, so it, it's been pretty exciting to you know kind of bring her to life in two places at once, which is a big first for us. And then we came up with all these other characters, all these these other journeymen, or rather, I should say novice warcasters, because journeyman is actually a Signaran rank mm-hmm. uh, or title. But these other novice warcasters, that's letting us do new stuff for all the uh, the other War Machine factions, you know, because they've never really they had nobody but Signars previously had access to the journeyman rules before. And now, you know, everyone, including uh, Mercenaries, Retribution, Protectorate of Menoth, Crix, and Kador, are all going to get a chance to have those models with those rules and kind of add a new dimension to their gameplay. Um, and then the other big first for us, really set of firsts, is the new Warcaster we're introducing, mm-hmm. uh, Commander uh, Dalen Sturgis, who starts out as a, a Signaran Warcaster uh, in the uh, single-player campaign. Um, and we're releasing his model and rules with uh, as rewards for the, uh, the Kickstarter as well. Uh, he starts out as a Signaran Warcaster, and over the course of events, uh, some things kind of go wrong, and he comes back as uh, Sturgis the Corrupted, a Crix Warcaster. So we actually are releasing a model for the first time that comes with alternate pieces to build into a Signar or Crix Warcaster. He comes with two sets of cards, so you can build him and play him how, uh, for whichever army you have. So we're pretty pretty excited about him too. Yeah, the new the all the new Warcasters and the uh, the novice Warcasters are really awesome. Like already looking at the rules, like I'm very excited as a Signar player um, to be getting hold of um, of any of those really. Um, and I mean, the other cool thing is the fact that, as I said, you can look at the rules now for them. So you can you can even before you've got the miniatures, uh, you can sit down and start planning new army lists around these uh, forthcoming miniatures, uh, which is just awesome. And of course, there's other you know other, some other um, physical rewards. There's like uh, let me get this right. Let me think. I say physical rewards. So there's a there's some more digital ones like the soundtrack. And then there's also some very big rewards. So there's like the full 
what's it called? Um, the war chest. The war chest, yeah, <laughs> which is like massive. Um, Get a lot of stuff in there. Yeah, so um, so obviously for people that have got, oh, let me just check that. Like that's what pledge level is that one on? It's a yeah. And you get a lot of stuff in the war chest. So, um, what other type of physical rewards are there beyond the miniatures? At some of the higher level rewards, we start to, you know, when you get, you're buying, you're, you're purchasing multiple miniatures as rewards in addition to the video game and all the digital rewards. Uh, we have some, uh, some patches like the, the, uh, mm-hmm. German patch, which shows that, that rank and title for a signar and you can wear that on your jacket or your army bag. Uh, the mages patch, similar, just a higher rank. Then we have things like dice. We, of course, have the war chest itself, which is a, uh, a very cool uh, wooden box with uh, a number of faction logos on it. That comes with all that other stuff. And uh, war chest back to let you get a physical copy of the game as well. Oh, great. Excellent. Oh, and that's also an important thing to bring up. is the fact that the computer game is going to be available both on PC and on uh, on Macs. So, Thank you. Uh, Thank you, says Mike. Uh, speaking from uh, Skype on a uh, brand new MacBook Air, I, uh, I feel your pain. So I'll be happy to be playing the game alongside you. Brilliant. That's good news for everyone. And obviously, I mean, I've read there's some, you know, there's some FAQs on things with regard to DRM, and it's all that's all basically, you know, your hands are tied depending upon which distribution methods. Are that's used. All, yeah, that's, that's all platform dependent. Um, whenever we can avoid D- DRM, we will be doing so. So only when a platform installs its own DRM, like you know, we obviously want to be on Steam and they have their own digital rights system mm-hmm. um, to uh, to manage dis- their distribution of content through the platform. But we uh, we are striving to uh, to avoid uh, true DRM at all costs. Yeah, excellent. Mike, do you have some more questions to ask on the about the Kickstarter right now? Then. Not particularly. Um, I'm already back in it, so... Yep, I'm yep. back in it. I've upped my uh, pledge level the moment I read, oh, yes, you can have it sent to Germany cheaper. I was like, okay, that's a pledge level up. <laughs> and I guess that'll account, that would have accounted for uh, quite a lot of the, uh, the boost over today as well, I guess, with the moment that people could go, yes, I can get all, you know, all of the, uh, all the add-on miniatures and pay a flat UK... Um, a shipping fee, or or pay a, a, a reasonable um, European shipping fee. So that's that's just stunning. Um, yeah, I'm glad we could work that out. And then of course we we got another boost from uh, from Penny Arcade. Yeah, I wrote their comic book strip today about us. Oh so. yeah, yeah, I did see that one. Um, also, the thing, of course, is all the new uh, Warcaster artwork is like stunning. Again, it's top notch work, and you know it's no surprise when you. Are constantly flicking through a certain RPG right now to expect equally stunning artwork uh, for the new characters. Um, and the other thing I'm liking the look of is the uh, the the um, I would say just the, the the kind of the the geography of the um, in the sample pictures for the uh, battlefields. So you know you're, you can you'll be fighting on like multiple levels. So you've got like uh, you'll have barriers and uh, trenches and so forth. So it'll be really interesting to see how uh, diverse these uh, battlefields, in particular for multiplayer, will get. Because um, I'd be particularly interested in like what nasty things are built into the game. If say I don't know, a heavy warjet picks up another one and chucks it in mm. a body of water, um, 
which is always a good way of taking some, out someone's warjack. Um, <laughs> cool. I think that pretty much covers the Kickstarter. Obviously, you know, we've said that if people want to um, get in on the Kickstarter, it's like the uh, to get just the game is twenty dollars. So you know, that's really really great. Um, especially considering that there's more people back it, you're going to get more bang for your buck essentially with the uh, with the game as more stuffs unlocked and more factions and I'm sure even more options of what you can do in the game. Um, yeah, you know, we've got some really cool stuff lined up for the stretch goals. We haven't we haven't shown off the majority of it yet. And, uh, as we start reaching them, we'll start revealing new stuff, and uh, most of it's going to go straight into the game one way or the other. Uh, so. Uh, spread the word if you want to see stuff in the game. Thank you for your support. <laughs> Excellent. Well, yeah, we've been, I've been uh, sharing it across like pretty much any social network I make use really of right now. I can't say how much we appreciate everybody who spread the word and helped us out with this thing. It's, uh, it's really, it's just, it's just overwhelming. Cool. I think if that covers the Kickstarter for now, I think we can move into generally what's going on right now. Uh, going on right now and on the horizon for, say, War Machine and Hordes, considering that feeds into our main topic, which is on Iron Kingdoms. Um, so, obviously, recently, uh, since the RPG was released, we've had a new faction for War Machine, which is the Convergence of Cyrus, which is essentially uh, the, the military order operates for the Cult of Cyrus, the, uh, the Machine Goddess, and presents some unique elements to uh, War Machine. And uh, obviously, for the role-play game right now, that's added in, obviously, new miniatures to use and some new careers that have turned up in no quarter. So how would you explain the uh, the, the uh, convergence of Cyrus to, uh, to War Machine or Hordes players or people that are obviously playing Iron Kingdoms and are thinking they may make good uh, antagonists for their game. Um, or player characters. If you actually offer oh, player characters, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That last issue of No Quarter magazine. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the convergence of Cirrus is sort of the uh, the inner upper echelons of the uh, the cult of Cirrus. Um, Cirrus cultists worship the uh, the goddess Cirrus, who they believe is a goddess of machines and perfect order. Recently, the the inner workings have, have uh, the inner leaders of the sect have launched what they call the uh, the Great Work, or uh, which has brought them into a, a phase of conflict with uh, the powers of the Iron Kingdoms as they strive to bring the goddess to Cain by rewiring the uh, the ley line system of the planet. And uh, this is kind of inconvenient for a number of nations and uh, other people who use the ley lines, such as the uh, the Circle Orberos. Um, mm-hmm. So the, the Cult of Cirrus and the Convergence of Cirrus are now in open conflict, uh, if a limited one, uh, with a number of powers of the Iron Kingdoms. And uh, the Convergence, which actually just released on Wednesday, the same as Damon's our Kickstarter, um, <laughs> They are uh, an all-new War Machine faction. The army books out, um, has a number of warcasters. Uh, the army has some pretty cool and unique mechanics um, regarding focus and warjacks. Their, uh, their warjacks are actually called vectors. They work a little bit differently than traditional warjacks, um, but they're much more focus-efficient. There's some pretty cool tricks that you can pull with that. So uh, it's a pretty exciting time to be a War, war Machine player. Yeah, I mean, the... They're obviously really unique because of obviously, I mean, the first thing that's that you notice when you start looking at the stat lines of these uh, these vectors is obviously they're they're dependent upon the warcaster that's leading that battle group. So that's immediately an obvious difference to all the standard warjacks used by people. So that's really cool. 
of course, I'm quite interested in them because, of course, in uh, Witchfire Trilogy Part 2, which, you know, I'm playing through Witchfire Trilogy right now with my roleplay group, um, you know, there is a temple of uh, Cirrus. So um, the fact that I can grab a few miniatures and put them in, or, I don't know, maybe a certain player in my group has expressed an interest in uh, the Convergence of Cirrus to play War Machine, it's like, ah, excellent. That means you can bring your Warjacks along and I can just drop them into the RPG when I want to have a big badass in a certain temple. And that's really exciting. And, yeah, the new careers and everything have been good. But, um, I mean, so you say they're kind of like they're the way they make use of focus is is slightly different. Is there any way you uh, can explain that uh, in how they're efficient with it? Is it just that they they get more out of their focus, or um, yeah, go for it. Essentially, Sirius um, Warjack, Sirius uh, Vectors use have what's called an induction node, and mm-hmm. uh, that lets Warcasters kind of trickle focus out. So when a a uh, Cirrus Vector uh, uses its focus, um, it can move that focus to another Warjack within a certain position, or within a certain range of it, and uh, this means that your your the efficiency of your battle groups is uh, is drastically increased. Ah, right, okay, so I mean, okay, so I imagine then that that means a lot if, say, you've, you've uh, pumped in the focus onto one Vector because you want to make sure you kill something, you do particularly well and you kill it, and you've got that excess focus, that means you can then siphon it off onto something that needs that excess that's left over? Is that right? Um, and I believe you can even do it with just the, the focus as it's spent. So you can you can sort of just move it from one warjack to another. So as they activate, they, they sort uh, of an entire battle group. That's really wicked. That's very, very different to all the rest. Wow. They really play like a clockwork machine, right? You know, you sort of you put your conversions pieces in the right places on the board, and they all start working in concert with each other. But uh, but just like a clock piece of clockwork machinery, if you take the right gear out, uh, it all starts to fall apart. So they're uh, they're a pretty challenging faction both to play against, but they they do have some uh, some weaknesses that can be exploited by a canny enemy. Cool, 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 cool. I'm trying to think what else was being new out for War Machine that I've seen on the releases. Obviously. In the time frame since the RPG, I think all of the Colossals have been released, which again are super heavy warjacks, I think is the best way to describe them. And they look, again, all are completely stunning. Um, really great miniatures. I have no idea when I might add them into my, uh, anything like that into my collection right now, because I have to think, I might move country. And a big miniature like that scares yeah. me on moving country. So, uh, I have to, uh, think in a different way. And, uh, yeah, I mean, what else have we got for War Machine then about to release or, or, or coming up that we can expect? I, there's a, there's a, I've watched a few lock and load videos and there's a new book for War Machine coming up soon. I say soon. Soon being a, in however many months time. Um, we've got a lot of stuff coming out for War Machine and Hordes. You know, more convergence stuff will be coming out over the course of the year. You know, I think sort of a side project that we're really excited about is High Command, which comes out next oh, month. Oh, yeah, yeah. Next building game for War Machine, and that'll be followed by uh, High, Com- uh, High Command Hordes in October. Um, so I think that's going to be pretty cool. Everybody uh, in the company's been playing that incessantly um, ever since we started getting copies uh, in the warehouse. So that's going to be pretty big for us, too. And I think it's uh, it's pretty cool to see War Machine, you know, making that move both uh, to the video game and tactics and uh, into the sort of deck building uh, non-collectible card game in uh, in High Command. Excellent. Yeah, I mean, I haven't I haven't yet. Uh, I've read a little about High Command. I mean, 
Ah, uh, what have I been playing recently? Um, I think the nice thing about the fact that it's a uh, it's a non-collectible deck build uh, deck building game is that to me that makes it a lot easier to be a more uh, I call a more social way of gameplay um, because I mean recently uh, was I grabbed the um, the Android uh, app version of uh, the recent Magic Gathering Jewel of the Planeswalkers. Again, because it means I don't have to buy cards. I just buy the one thing, and I just play through as I see fit, and I get the same enjoyment. I just don't need to buy more cards and more cards and more cards to be competitive. It's you know, it's based on how good I am at playing rather than my wallet. Um, <laughs> so that's great to know about um, that. High Commander is going to be is non is a non collectible deck building game, and I'm sure there'll be more expansions. Obviously in the future for the War Machine and Hordes parts of that. Cool. What else have we got? Are there any particular new books coming up for War Machine or Hordes? Uh, so, yeah, expansion books or... Machine Vengeance will be out uh, sometime next year. Okay. Uh, that'll be the next uh, War Machine anthology book. Okay. Um, and, of course, uh, we have coming out in September Iron Kingdom's uh, role-playing game, book two, uh, Kings, yes. Nations, and Gods. Okay, well, we will talk about that uh, in a bit more in a moment. Mike, do you have anything more you wanted to ask? Um, anything Hordes-wise in particular that you're excited that's coming up to be released? Nope, not really. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, because you, you're, um, so Mike, you're, you've got your Scorn group, you've now got your Everblight, so uh, I'm sure you're mostly planning just, you know, your Everblight to be uh, filled out with the more basic stuff that's already available, but pretty much that, and finding time to paint. Finding so, time to paint, that's yeah, that's an issue. Yeah, cool. Okay, so I guess moving on, that brings us to the Iron Kingdoms RPG. Obviously, uh, since we last spoke, Simon, we've had quite a few things out for it. Um, so there's right now there is the core rulebook, which is great and huge. And uh, Mike, you now have your own. You have a, uh, a copy of that. Um, yep, finally. Finally. And you, uh, how far are you through reading that? Or uh... Oh, psh, like 20 pages in. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Um, history. And, you know, again, like, you keep, I keep returning to it and seeing, like, interesting kind of ideas spring from the way you can, like, mix and match uh, the careers there. And... The thing that's made that makes that even more exciting is the fact that there's been some more releases since then. So obviously we've had uh, No Quarter Presents uh, Urban Adventures, which is uh, gives us a short um, kind of overview of uh, the City of Five Fingers, which is basically a ma- is a, a pirate city at the uh, mouth of the uh, Dragon's Tongue River, and it's a good place to have um, some really uh, diverse type of stories going on because there's so many different people there available and of course we've got some new careers in there we've got the Thamorite Advocate career which is great if for both PCs and NPCs because it gives you some more necromancy rules and uh, more rules for different undead minions that could be created we've also had the GM screen which so that's had and we show that in the videos there's lots of tables on there and there's lots of cool uh, dry wipe uh, health trackers and you know, cool character sheets and that's all been really useful in the game 
Uh, we've also had a no quarter we've had uh, since the RPG's been out. We've had about one, two, three, four, five, is that right? Looking at my list. Five issues out, and they've had various kind of monster-nomicon, kind of new creatures, or an adventure, or a location, or equipment, or even entirely new careers. So like we said, there's a uh, convergence of uh, Cyrus careers in there now. And we've also had Full Metal Fridays, which is the freebie PDF every Friday uh, from Private Press, and that's had, again, encounters, equipment, new ideas for rules and equipment, and uh, some cool careers and races, like the Sat6 Raiders, which is really wicked. Yeah, Full Metal Friday is pretty pretty much just awesome, and uh, (laughs) definitely definitely good thinking, Private Press, on that one. Uh, It really helps, you know, draw attention to... Uh, Iron Kingdoms RPG and just keeps people interested as well because there's always new free content coming out. Yeah, um, and you know, book two is coming up really soon, but we wanted to kind of have a steady flow of content out of there leading up to that. So um, we're finishing up some new stuff we've added, and then starting next month, we're going to just be straight up previewing stuff from book two in Final oh, wow. <laughs> uh, So we got some pretty cool stuff in the works for that. Um, cool. That's really great because, um, I mean, it covers, you know, there's. Each group is um, each kind of like month has been a particular focus for Full Metal Friday. So you know there's loads of different things uh, for people to use. Um, and then of course the next book, as you said, uh, God's Kings and Nations, which is the, the second book for Iron Kingdoms and focuses on the four main nations of uh, of the setting. Uh, so we've got Cador, Signar, uh, Lael, and Ord. And there's some really good stuff that's going to be in that book that we're going to see for the first time. So, Simon, if you want to give us an overview of that book and maybe also say how it compares to the compares to and expands upon what some people may already have read in the old D20 world guides, because obviously those exist, but maybe in comparison to this new book, they don't really compare anymore. So, Kings, Nations, and Gods is a uh, gigantic book. I think it's about 400 pages, give or take. <laughs> um, and it is a uh, an atlas, essentially, uh, with player, playable material like new careers and classes, uh, but a tremendous amount of setting information on the nations of the Corvus Treaties. And that is the uh, the countries of Signar, Cador, Ord, uh, the Protectorate of Menoth, and the, uh, the divided and occupied nation of Lael. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've split the book up into a chapter devo- devoted to each of those. Occupied Lael is almost sort of, is almost a collection of three small chapters, um, uh, being one portion for Occupied uh, Cadoran Lael, uh, one portion for uh, the Northern Crusade, which is occupying the, uh, the city of Ridden, and a significant portion of uh, Northeastern Lael, and then Free Lael. Mm-hmm. Uh, and each of those chapters begins with a, a really in-depth look at the history of that nation, um, and then followed by sort of a general overview of the places and cultures and organizations and peoples of that nation, and concludes with a section of playable material, including um, new careers in some cases, new abilities, new spells, uh, new equipment, new warjacks. Uh, I think we added almost every warjack from uh, War Machine to its associated national chapter in that book, so uh, there's some pretty cool stuff in there. And... Uh, you know, it's the World Guide's uh, still a great book, and it's still a book that we reference internally, and probably will until the end of time. But um, this book is the, the exciting thing about this is that because we didn't have to try and do the entirety entirety of Western Imran, you know, these five chapters, we really get to zero in on those and get into much greater detail than we've ever done before. And it's all accompanied by amazing new art 
that really showcases the environments of the Iron Kingdoms, which is something we've never mm. really had the opportunity to do before. You know, just just do these beautiful panoramic city shots um, and really bring the place to life. And you know, I, I think one of the most exciting things about working on the book was was getting to see these places finally illustrated. And uh, you know, Matt Wilson, our, our founder, um, you know, he was continually sort of just blown away and flabbergasted to finally see these things that he's had in his head for ten years, and the rest of us have all been imagining too. Um, you know, lavishly illustrated. So you know, I, it's I wouldn't say that this book makes the, like invalidates the world guide, but it's uh, it, it's much greater detail on the portions that we bring into it, and of course the parts that we haven't done yet, we're going to explore in the the next two core books, which will be uh, exploring the wilderness and the uh, the wild groups of Western Amber, and then the fourth book will explore sort of ancient empires like Crix, uh, Rule, Ios, and the Scorn Empire. Brilliant. I mean, obviously it's a pain to wait for that, but fortunately, you know, you've got. Uh... In the next No Quarter, you kind of make all our... Anyone that's a fan of dwarves and stunty people, um, there's going to be some stuff in uh, No Quarter which which covers uh, them with the fact that the, we get to see... Uh, in the roleplay rules, we get the um, the warcasters from Rule, and we also get the uh, the uh, their warjacks as well. So that's good in, in that forthcoming issue so i'm quite excited to see that yeah the world the um gods kings and nations sounds like awesome the fact we get all the miniatures i've been painting in the last month suddenly become extra usable um i can finally like pound my players with uh with a protector of menoth um crusader or um or uh or or worse uh uh, a Kadoran juggernaut that'll be yeah. quite scary um i'm not quite at that level yet i mean because i'm playing in a setting that's a few years before Lael Falls, but I mm-hmm. plan to work in some good politics about how Lael Falls. So I'm hoping this book also uh, gives me some insight in the uh, how that actually, a bit more detail in how that all happens. I think one of the interesting things about the book, actually, is that um, you'll get a lot of use out of not just the Lael's history section, which will give you a, a Lael's a perspective on the uh, the uh, the invasion and occupation. But if you go back and read the section of the Kadoran history that gets into that, um, mm. you'll see sort of both sides of the story. And that was interesting because, you know, um, we, we repeat a lot of the events in those different history sections, but Doug, who did the bulk of the writing on those, took really great pains to give each each history its own sort of voice from that perspective and highlight or um, subtly ignore certain facts uh, from each one, just like a country will writing its actual um, history. So if you if you want a really comprehensive look at the total history of of the nations of the Iron Kingdoms, if you read all of those, you'd get a you get a really well rounded approach. But if you only read one, you might only be, you might be missing some of the facts. Cool. And I said there's some new careers in there as well. So I guess these are careers which are very emblematic of uh, of the nations uh, detailed in the spot. So um, what kind of new careers can we expect to see? Um, well, in some cases, uh, you know, careers that made sense for factions, uh, for, for various nations, um, were already pretty well represented by, by combinations of careers from the core book. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, a, a winter guard, um, is a, basically a soldier who uses a blunderbuss. So in some cases we've given kind of options or suggestions for, you know, which pair, which careers to pair and what, equipment uh, to, right. to make that. And then we, we add that equipment where necessary, like the winter guard blunderbusses in the book. And we kind of we give you a paragraph or two that suggests how to build a winter guard out of the book one careers because we didn't want to we didn't want to create a new career for every single soldier mm-hmm. and archetype that's available. But you know when there were new ideas we wanted to explore those. Um, so you know we added new careers that some of them are a little on the more generic side like horsemen, which is available to Kadorans, 
Um, and pretty much everybody can get access to that, although it's in the Kadoran section because it has the most applicable use there with the, uh, the iron fangs as Ulans. But, you know, everybody can take those or that horseman career. But then we added really iconic stuff like uh, Stormsmith was a new Signaran career, uh, which wasn't really going to be able to be replicated by existing careers because it's so equipment based. And then we added all their new equipment. And then we didn't just add new military stuff from War Machine. We added some new stuff to like the arcane uh, order of the Trident, which is the, uh, the Ordic military's, uh, Sailing uh, battle wizards. These oh, are the solid. naval officers and battle wizards who accompany the Ordic fleet um, in major engagements. So we added a career for those guys who do want to play a, an Ordic sorcerer or an arcanist who has a background in uh, the military and the navy. He's a he's a cool option for you and things like that. So we've got a we got a whole bunch of new stuff in there for both uh, ex- from both existing careers, new equipment, and totally new careers. That's excellent. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I mean, part of me always is thinking, ah, it'd be great to run a whole just pirate-based Iron Kingdoms game at some point, simply because there's so many careers that work for that really well. Already in the core book, and obviously have been brought out in either you know, Full Metal Friday or No Quarter, or will be in the next book as well. There's just so many, so much good stuff. I mean, again, that just represents how good the career system is. You mix and match, and you can represent pretty much any... Uh, form of uh, character type uh, quite happily. Cool. Uh, Mike, do you have any specific questions with regard to this book, or is there anything in particular looking forward to reading up on? Uh, definitely Lael is of <laughs> interest, so yep. yeah. I'll be excited well, to see that. Yeah, I'm excited for Lael, simply because my wife's character is um, is a daughter of some Earl from Ridden, so uh, there's the idea of pl- almost, I hope, I wish I could play long enough or at least return every so often with a few years downtime and have her character have to deal with the fall of her country. And uh, that would be really awesome to uh, go through. Cool. That was one of my favorite chapters to write, actually. Um, you know, we, we wrote it in the present of the setting where it's been occupied and divided. But the resistance stuff I thought was, was really some of the best material um, in the book, in my opinion, because we, we got into, I mean, their situation is deteriorating and declining and they're 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 on their last legs in a lot of ways, and the uh, the sort of desperate insurgency that they're they're having to conduct at this point is uh, is really compelling storytelling, I think, and the opportunities for people to tell exciting and um you know sort of a different kind of uh, of story for a lot of traditional fantasy role playing games is 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 really just waiting for you to take it and uh, put it together. And then the other thing that's being you know that they're, they're slowly being uh, released um is the all the uh, novellas and novels from uh, Skull Island Expedition, so um. I've been reading uh, Exile in Arms, which uh, is the characters of uh, Rutger Shaw and Tarin Dilla Ravisi, and that's awesome because, again, uh, that's a story that uh, looks at those mercenaries as they aid a uh, uh, an earl of uh, Lael uh, and help him out to get out of Lael uh, as the Kadoran occupation is occurring. And uh, they travel all the way down to Five Fingers. So again, um, if you want to get even more of a feel for the setting, all those books are really good. I mean, that one's particularly good as, as well because uh, yeah, people who are familiar with his writing, um, that one's written by uh, C.L. Werner. So it's wicked. It's really wicked. I've not finished it yet, but it's wicked because everything's in there. Everything's in there pretty much any kind of set piece and again the great inspiration for the roleplay game as well so um, I don't know which one I'm going to pick up next to read actually but I'll work that out uh, Mike have you picked up any of the books or you, is there one you're thinking of grabbing yet? Well I am a huge fan of Clint Werner 
or Hiverner, as you uh, <laughs> may have heard him called. Uh, so I might check that out in the future, but uh, no, I'm pretty much gaming fiction out for pretty much the rest of my life, I think. <laughs> so I'm going to... I might have to, might have to uh, pass on it for uh, for a little bit. Cool. Um, yep. So I think that really gives us the uh, I think the the product overview of everything that's coming out. Obviously, yeah, there's going to be more, and you know, listeners can obviously mostly check out as I rant and rave about things that are cool in the roleplay game because I'll go, wow, this is awesome, you have to get this. So let's move on to our. I guess this counts as a topic of highbrow storytelling, Mike, doesn't it? I think it does. Simon, uh, I know we don't have too much time left, but uh, we wanted to definitely discuss uh, horror in the Iron Kingdoms. Sure. Um, I think I argued last time you were on the show that, in my opinion, you know, while you look at War Machine now and Hordes, they're very much you know army-based games with the uh, conflicts going on uh, on the battlefield. But if you look at the origins of the Iron Kingdoms, it's it starts off as a horror game with the uh, Witchfire trilogy, and uh, due to its the settings. Uh, kind of industrial revolution uh, clashing with, with uh, the existence of magic and the existence of faith, you have a lot of opportunities to look at horror themes in the Iron Kingdom's setting. So, uh, having worked on uh, the Iron King's RPG, what and, and regarding your own experience with horror gaming, such as uh, Unhallowed Metropolis and uh, your gameplay of Vampire back in the day, what do you kind of what, what features of horror role-playing do you think about when you're writing Iron Kingdom's books? Um, it really depends on, you know, what portions of the books we're writing. Uh, one of the things I think that makes Iron Kingdom such an appealing setting is that it's it's, it's so well-rounded that if you want to play a horror game, that's there for you. If you want to play a swashbuckling pirate game, that's also there. If you want to mix the two, uh, there are places where those things intersect. Um, so, you know, some material definitely speaks to, to horror writing um, much more uh, specifically than others. I remember several years ago, I wrote an article for No Quarter magazine um, describing the uh, Crixian port of Blackwater. And uh, that was a really uh, fun article to write and very horror-influenced. Um, you know, it's this thriving um, hive of villainy and scum in Crix. It's one of the. It's a pirate port, and um, you know, necromancers live in the these sort of network of caves on the hills above, and they come down to the meat markets in the city. And you know, you can buy humans for experimentation for necromantic purposes. Um, you know, there there are places where people are just selling organs in the street. And of course, you know, on top of this, we have this big organ, this big um, community of living people who live there and have kind of had to accommodate the uh, the Crixians um, one way or the other. So that was there was a lot of you know stuff there where you can talk about societal horror. These groups you know sort of societally preying upon one another and how that trickles down to you know the uh, 
the poorest and most desperate people there. And then you can also do a thing, you know, if you wanted to play a game there, you can have more overt horror where you can have, you know, Jack the Ripper stalking your characters in the streets. Um, so, you know, I think one of the, it's one of the, the nice things about the arcades is that it, it has that scope to it so that, um, you know, you don't want to have just a specific kind of horror. If you want to tell personal horror stories, that option's there. If you want to tell slasher horror, that's there too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there are, I mean, that's already, I mean, quite obvious, like, uh, one of the encounters in, uh, Urban Adventures is, fits the slasher type of horror where you're dealing with a, um, kind of a mad, doctor kind of character who's got this strange uh, mechanical arm and he's going about gutting people and so it really plays to play in a allows you to look at a more investigative uh, procedural kind of story as they track down this killer as the body count you know increases mm-hmm. or there's the horror element of as I said like you know dealing with cricks where it's really over the top in your face where they're coming to you know they're invading uh your lands and they the first place they end up is they're going to the graveyards and they're you know getting all the bodies out because they need them for their own to build their forces up and to fuel their uh, necromancy mm-hmm. um i think the other thing that's important about iron kingdoms and i think this is where uh it compa- and it's important to compare it to say other fantasy settings is i think Horror sometimes, I feel, loses its edge in other fantasy settings because of the fact that you can sometimes go, oh, you, oh, it's just magic of some form. And that kind of sometimes really takes the edge off, off that horror. Whereas I think in Iron Kingdoms, it's quite clear that though there is magic and people know that magic exists to some extent, but it's also being packaged and delivered in the uh, mechanica that they have, that that means that they... The, the magic is um, is more because it feels more commonplace it means that horror due to that um, can feel a bit more extreme and you can actually and then the main focus of the horror is not that it has a magical source or it may even have a non-magical source the fact is that you can again return to the fact that horror is the world that you're that you know and love being in some way uh, perverted and desecrated and um, I think Eye Kingdoms really lends itself well to looking at that, whether it, uh, because you can look at like because of how important souls are in the setting. So you can again, it doesn't matter whether you're doing necromancy or it is just some slasher. Again, it's that whole desecration of a person and of you know ultimately the soul, and it's just really cool. And um, yeah, I mean, is there anything? Is, is there? Can you comment on that a bit more, and maybe uh, kind of tease sure. out what I'm going for on it? Because there's, there's so many different things running through my head on this. Because obviously there's the interaction of like how faith works in the setting, and then there's the alchemy, and then what what things that uh, in the setting people consider folklore. Because obviously you know you've got gate men in the war game, but how well known are those things to the the populations of the Iron Kingdoms? Sure. I mean, you know, I think. Um... If your players are willing to sort of have a little bit of uh, pretend ignorance, you know, some things they may know as a player, um, you know, the people of the Iron Kingdoms, they know that there are Gatormen out there in the swamps and they have their weird tribes and stuff, but they probably don't know that the Gatormen have Bokors who engage in some pretty powerful uh, death magic. <laughs> um, so, you know, if you're, if you're willing to, if your players are kind of willing to let you play along or they don't even know that themselves, there's, there's all sorts of weird twists you can do. Um, there's, there's horror in unexpected places in the Iron Kingdoms. Um, even if you look at the convergence of Ceres who we were talking about, who, you know, by and large, aren't really a, a, something you would think of as being horror-themed. Uh, we like to joke at the office that, you know, the Convergence are, at heart, um, a machine-worshipping death cult. 
Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. their, their major goal is to uh, is to transcend the flesh and and be um, you know um, become one with these machines and, and inhabit a machine physically. And you know, and that's that's uh, that's a pretty frightening thing when you really think about it. <laughs> Uh, they may not be Crixian necromancers, but they, they're definitely, you know, dealing with powerful soul magics. Um, and I hope I'm going to get Doug Seacat on the show to talk to you about that kind of stuff in much greater depth uh, than I am really uh, capable of doing. Doug, I think Doug, that, uh, Doug's gonna, the architect of our cosmology. Yeah, I was going to say with the your, with the uh, convergence as well, they kind of represent the real um, the real kind of heartless uh, or a full representation of the heartless kind of horror of industrialization because obviously we know the horrors of industrialization it from our own world history and you can again inject that into the iron kingdoms where you know you have massive factories where people are uh, are suffering grievous injuries as these machines are tearing through and creating things to think that then is is almost exemplified by the fact that there is a group of people that just want to become machines and you know remove the body and and tear the souls out is is really is really creepy. And there's also, as you say, Gatorman. I, I think is is a really great. And I think another good thing about Iron Kings compared to a lot of other fantasy settings is it breaks a lot of the traditional cliches. So like you know you've got some fairly uh, I feel a fairly kind of unique uh, takes or or off in their own right, fairly unique races um, added into the setting, which obviously add to that element of uh, of weirdness and um, make things feel unsettling. Um, in particular, I think the Pharaoh are a great example of that because they kind of, again, play into the whole thing that pigmen are kind of weird, like that bit in Willow where they, they get turned into pigs at that, that mm-hmm. point. That's really foul. And then yeah. add on top of that, you've got like um, uh, Dr... Arcadius, yeah, and doing his experiments that kind of again pushes that whole kind of uh, the island of Doctor Moreau kind of horror, and I think yeah, again that's something that could be again quite happily put into the setting. Yeah, um, I mean, the fun things about the Pharaoh is we we um, we set them up very as sort of straight men, right? Like you know we we play them for laughs to a certain degree. You know they have funny rules like bacon where the war war <laughs> the, the remains of the corpses and stuff. But when you when you really take a strong look at what's going on there, it's it's really quite sinister. Um, you know, not only do you have Dr. Arcadius who is performing these these pretty nightmarish Frankenstein experiments on the Pharaoh, uh, but he's doing it in collusion with a Pharaoh warlord who, you know, wants to wants to rule the world. Um, he's never going to, but uh, he has delusions of grandeur. But he's he's willing to, you know, have his own people chopped up and turned into these these nightmarish machine Pharaoh hybrids uh, without a second thought. When you really start to look at look at that and what's going on there and what would be happening to make that happen? Um, it's a pretty great horror setting. You know, there's a little bit of Dr. Moreau there. There's a little bit of Apocalypse Now going on, a little bit of Frankenstein. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's those weird meeting places that I think are some of, some of the most interesting things about the Iron Kingdoms and horror in particular happen. And another thing also uh, that I think I'm hoping um, the gods, kings and, and nations will, will give us some insight into, or at least I hope like either a no quarter or full metal Friday, or it's in a no quarter, a really, you know, in an older no quarter, which I need to then, you know, go find somewhere and order is, um, I'd be really interested in knowing like what, what counts as like folklore within the Iron Kingdom setting. Cause obviously, you know, what, what things are myths or people don't know are real or not. Um, you know, kind of like getting into kind of like the kind of Sleepy Hollow kind of style stories and so forth. And if those type of things 
exist as kind of story hooks within the setting because I think that would be really fun to play out. Um, and again, you know, so we can again play up what the common man in the setting knows and then you can use what they don't know as a way to then approach horror. Um, so we'll, will we get a bit of that in the next book or is that maybe something for the future for some well, other supplement? Kings, Nations and Gods is pretty focused on um, urban environments. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, in, there's, there's only a little bit of that in there, but I would say you're going to find more of that in book three when we start talking about rural uh, communities <clears throat> um, and places like that. Okay. And then I think the other important thing with horror is what things would you say are unique or genre-breaking uh, elements of uh, which count towards horror in Einkin's RPG? So obviously I've, we've talked about the idea of there's kind of things that fit into the kind of Frankenstein monsters kind of thing. Then there's kind of the, the, the machine horror uh, element. We also have ghosts because in one no quarter there's uh, full rules of ghosts and specters and, and the ghosts of uh, the elves, uh, the Riven. So do you want to comment on what things are kind of like miss uh, not in the setting or are in a setting, but they're kind of twisted and a bit different? So I'm like thinking werewolves or vampires or demons and the infernal and so forth. Yeah, I, mean, I think you named uh, three really good examples right there. Um, you know, we, we have all three to some degree. You know, our werewolves are called warp wolves, and they are actually um, are ritual creations of the Circle Orboros. And you know, the, the druids um, have people go through this ritual transformation that turns them into into warp wolves, and then they, they become beasts of war for the, the circle, uh, guardians and protectors and stuff. And, you know, it's, it's not the traditional, you know, uh, transmission by bite. Uh, you know, they're, 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 they're made beings. There's a little bit of, um, you know, um, I can't think of the word I'm looking for right now, but there's a, there's an element where they're, 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 they're created. And, you know, the, the horror in that case isn't so much that the, uh, the person has been transformed, was transformed into the werewolf, it's that somebody convinced them this was a good idea. <laughs> uh, most of them are, you know, calm, uh, volunteers, um, you know, and we have, as far as vampires, we don't really have the traditional vampire, but we have um, a number of beings and things that suck energy or souls in one degree or another. Our iron liches manipulate soul energy, um, you know, as sort of almost like currency. And uh, then, of course, we have our, our infernals who kind of take the place of demons in our setting. And they're these otherworldly, extremely powerful and violent uh, and soul-hungry beings from somewhere else, somewhere outside the known uh, realms of our cosmology, Cain, the physical, Urkain, um, the afterlife, and even outside the void, which is a very frightening place that seems to exist as some kind of um, profane rent in the uh, the afterlife. And the Infernals come from somewhere far outside of that, and it's, there's a lot of suggestions that they, they were involved in how humanity came to find magic. And uh, supposedly when uh, human humankind found magic, the, a, a deal was done on their behalf that may be coming due fairly soon. So, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of where our demonic pacts and uh, devil's bargains come in. That's pretty awesome, yeah. And, and that's interesting with the Infernals because of how that plays into uh, the Thamorites, because obviously Thamorites can be uh, used as NPCs as, like, you know, as the classic kind of necromancers, but Thamorites are not just... They're not evil, evil, evil. They're more... Um, they're more... They commit, commit what others may consider evil acts but what they think is more of a an expression of of pure freedom and uh the uh harvesting of of knowledge and of power and so obviously they don't want to be uh used by the infernals but they also consider they might summon an infernal if they ensure they have control so that's also an option for some 
really interesting uh, gameplay if you have a samurai player in your roleplay group, which would be nice and fun. Um, also in the setting, you have uh, some form of fae-like creatures, but again, they're slightly different to, say, what we know from... Well, slightly different and slightly similar to fae creatures in, say, other fantasy and supernatural settings. So do you want to give us a brief overview of the fae or what weirdness can we uh, expect? Those are the Grimkin, um, and they're probably the closest thing to those kind of folklore monsters we were talking about before. Um, okay. Doug would actually be a much better person to talk to about the Grimkin than I am, though he uh, he's much more up on <laughs> Okay. And I think... Uh, Mike, do you have a few more questions? Because I was going to go on to uh, what's interesting is how, say, also with uh, how how Menoth is, the protector of Menoth is quite interesting. Because, again, I think there's, even though they, they may look on the outs- outside, look fairly like some form of degree of moralistic good guys, there's some pretty evil ac- uh, groups within the protector of Menoth. Uh, perhaps, but uh, there is one thing on, the, on your list here that uh, you kind of just glanced over. Um and that's uh, the Orgoth. So that oh, was yes. the uh, the uh, nation or or faction that invaded the Iron Kingdoms previously. And uh, I think they're pretty interesting and can uh, really expand some of the horror elements because we don't really know a whole lot about them. Uh, there's not like a lot of information written up thus far, and uh, they've left ruins and a lot of uh, strange contraptions everywhere. So that can give you a lot of interesting exploration, um, even kind of. I know it's a term I use a lot on the show, but like xenoarchaeology, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, uh, exploring what has happened here in the past and uh, kind of figuring out what you could use and uh, the horror and um, issues that could come with that. Yeah, because again, one of the Full Metal uh, Fancy, uh, fr- uh, Full Metal Friday, sorry, um, things as a uh, an Orgoth tomb which you can plunder, and so it has some creatures and it has a an artifact in there which again is some kind of weird mask that does stuff. I'm not going to go into too much to that so someone can read it. Um, and then of course there's uh, oh, there's the, the whole career uh, based around their artifacts which of course is um, the Doom Reaver. Doom Reaver Berserkers which have an entire Orgoth, they have Orgoth weapons. These are, I guess the easiest way to say is there's some weird soul filled screaming blade that whispers to them and drives them insane and that's pretty creepy. That's creepy stuff there. And that just gives you a, even just a little taster of what the Orgoth have um, that you can pick up. Um, and I really hope at some point in the future it would be really, really interesting to know what horrific things exist in the jungles of Zoo, the other continent, uh, that, the one other continent that we so far n- know of. I mean, um, there's... A list, there's a there's a there's a uh, in the expanded beastry uh, that you can get free. There's a um, a headhunter, so there's a I think it's kind of a, a lizard-like kind of creature. Um, but again, I have no idea what could be on Zoo. I'm sure there might be something extremely terrible that you would just wish was left in the jungle. Um, <laughs> so I look forward to seeing whatever happens with that. Um, so. Um, Mike, was there anything else you wanted to go on with, or is there anything we should finish off with talking about? Uh, or yeah, some conclusions? Yeah. Um, I think the th- one thing with Iron Kingdoms, I think, why the horror element is, is good to play is because I think, even though it's a fantasy setting, because it's a, a pre-industrial, into an industrial revolution, um, I think the world is very easy to kind of sympathise and, and imagine, because you have these 
these urban environments. And, you know, I think there's also equally enough computer games out there, other computer games, which can give you the right look and feel. So um, I'm thinking, like, Assassin's Creed gives you ideas of, like, you know, what a city could look like. So they're wonderful 3D cities, and you can get an idea for the feel of how they can be really built up. And once you have that, once you have an understanding of what it would be like to live as just a normal, everyday man or woman in in these worlds, you can then see how those places that should be nice and safe and sound can be turned upside down by whatever thing it is, whether it's mystical, alchemical, or something that existed in folklore or some weird race can turn your world upside down. And that's what brings the horror into the world is that perversion and desecration of what is what is meant to be a normal day where you're doing your your rounds and you know you're working in your in the forge and you're making some weapons and suddenly gator men or something come out of nowhere mm. and or or obviously you know you you get into um the weirdness of you know you you find out your 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 uh, parents grave has been dug up and that brings you know all the worries of of the undead or or something like that um and to me that's really how you can play iron kingdoms with the horror is just turning what is meant to be normal upside down yeah um you know I, like you kind of mentioned the uh, one of the great things with the iron kingdoms is that it's it's a very recognizable world right um it's it's easy to to immerse yourself in it because it's it's not that far off from our own history and our own recent history at that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's you know it's a question of, of if as a as GM getting your characters to be comfortable with the world and to expect certain things from their their routines and the, the kind of games you tell them when you want to add that horror aspect to it. Um, it's not going to be very much work for you to, to to ratchet that up and make them really tense and, and anxious. Cool. Yeah. Sounds um, good to me. Yeah, you got any more comments on that, Mike? <laughs> not particularly. I think it's uh, getting to be about time to wrap this up, however. Yes. So, uh, Simon. Much. We're, uh, we're $2,000 from our next stretch goal. Stretch goal and I know there's something I'm going to have to help write in a moment. <laughs> oh, my God. Right. Okay, cool. Um, so, yeah, let's reel off, rattle off all the things where people can find stuff, get in contact, and what stuff they can grab, yada, yada, yada. So, obviously, uh, Simon, where can, they, where can people find out about Private Press and the Kickstarter right now? Um, get in so contact for, with you, yeah. Anything Privateer Press related, privateerpress.com is going to be your kind of one-stop shop. Um, follow Privateer Press on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, we stay up to press on our news. And uh, right now we are on Kickstarter at War Machine Tactics. Uh, you should be able to find us really easy. We're a staff pick, which is very cool. And we will uh, we'll keep churning this campaign out. And uh, if you need to get in touch with me directly for anything community-related, uh, you can contact me at simon at privateerpress.com. Excellent. And of course, we'll try and put as much of these things and links to stuff we've been talking about in the, uh, they'll be in the below, wherever, in the show thing on the website. Right. Yeah, that pretty much covers that. Mike, we have various ways of being contacted, so we obviously can be contacted at where? Uh, DarkerDaysRadio at gmail.com is our email address. We have our G Plus community, Darker Days Radio. We have uh, Facebook.com slash Darker Days Radio. And then we're on Twitter as at Darker Days Radio. Uh, yeah, we have a Tumblr where I just keep reblogging pictures because there's a lot of good War Machine and like 
artwork that turns up on there, World of Darkness artwork, miniatures right now. I'm reposting my miniatures there. Yeah, that's pretty much it, I think. So, uh, Simon, thank you again for being on the show. It's been great talking about everything because it's pretty much a really good time to be talking about everything. So um, thank you again and just... I guess good luck. Don't go insane with the Kickstarter. Yeah. Just, and uh, I hope it goes as far as you can get it. Really. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, thanks again for having me on the show, Chris and Mike. Um, and you know, just uh, if I can just say something to anybody who's listening who's backed us on Kickstarter, uh, thank you so much, everybody here at Privateer Press. Uh, we're really. I keep saying we're overwhelmed, but it's the only word to use for uh, just how blown away we are by the the support of our community um, and our our audience in seeing this video game happen. Um, so thank you, every one of you, for your help. Oh, thanks. you're welcome. Yeah. Uh, I think pretty much everyone at the, who who's involved with Duck Days now is maybe pledged, or I need to whip them to get them to pledge. So <laughs> it's going to happen. You don't need to do that. <laughs> but, uh, no, I mean, thanks to you guys and anybody listening who uh, who has supported us. Uh, just thank you. So I say we'll we'll plug everything, we'll link everything, and uh, that's pretty much it. So I think at that point it's the time to say goodbye. So thanks yep. for listening. Yep. Thank you, Simon. Have a good night. Thanks. Have a good one, guys.